slew of new candy dates. This week, everyone was looking south of the border for their politics, so it's a quiet week in the city. We'll talk about Council's slow ramp back up, and of course, the continued ramp up to crazy season. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 113. I just want to say off the top, because this has been endlessly frustrating to me, there's a concept called take out the trash day, which counselors or the city administration, they'll dump the stuff they don't want people to write and talk about Friday afternoon when everyone's going home for the weekend and they won't write about it. For a podcast that releases Friday at noon, this is very frustrating to us. (laughs) It's not the best timing for us, that's for sure. That happened again last week, and it's happened in other weeks before, but You know, we take solace in the fact that the take of the trash strategy doesn't truly work for city council. One, because we'll be coming back next week. And two, was anyone really going to write about this stuff anyway? On to the rapid fire. Governor General Julie Payette has resigned after a scathing report into the work environment at Rideau Hall. Payette acknowledged her culpability, saying that everyone is entitled to a safe work environment. However, sources close to her reveal that the resignation of her vice-regal roles comes after a weekend spent binge-watching The Crown. Said the source, the fourth season takes a pretty sharp anti-monarchy bent, and with the popularity of that show, the Governor-General could no longer in good conscience represent the Queen in Canada. Through a Freedom of Information request, we've retrieved Julie Payette's Netflix to-watch list, and after careful analysis and the topmost position of the Queen's Gambit, Speaking Municipally is predicting a career in chess for Payette's immediate future. After a barrage of searches this week, Snow Squall was added to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Linguists are not quite sure how to classify the etymological origin of the word, which Edmontonians unanimously agree has never been used before the Environment Canada warning posted Monday evening. With the formal definition of, shit's about to blow down, yo, Snow squall joins other words that have been invented by government without meaning, like social license, bending the curve, and accountability. The city of Edmonton has released new germ-killing push plates on the doorways of LRT and transit stations as part of a pilot program, there's that word again, to reduce the transfer of bacteria and viruses at transit centers. The new push plates work by highly compressing salt so that it feels just like ceramic tile, but still allows the salt crystals to pierce the membrane walls of germs. Enthralled with the idea, the Coal Association of Canada has partnered with the provincial government to pilot a similar idea in the legislature. They've coated all the doors with selenium. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode, we want to talk to you about Pod Power. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Glass Bookshop Radio, the official podcast of Glass Bookshop. And they sell books. Uh, it's founded by Jason Purcell and Matthew Stepanek. Glass Bookshop is an independent bookseller in Edmonton that focuses on Canadian writing with special attention to LGBTQ2S plus and BIPOC writers. And, of course, the independent publishers who help produce their work. Tune in to Glass Bookshop Radio for interviews with their favorite writers, publishers, and readers. To listen and read more, head over to glassbookshopradio.com or wherever you find your podcasts. So we're back, and like we said off the top, it was a slow news week. Uh, If you're not judging by my Twitter feed, let's not judge (laughs) by my Twitter feed. City Council had a slow ramp up. 
it wasn't like a quiet week where nothing got done, but it was a muted week. And I think that's probably appropriate given that everyone was looking elsewhere this week. Yeah, obviously people were paying attention to the inauguration and all of the uh, positive feel-good things to come out of the United States for a change. And so uh, council did some work here this week, but as you say, fairly quiet compared to where they left things off with the budget last year. I think it was pretty indicative that, you know, in previous weeks you've had people making rage memes, posting rants on Twitter, and this week it was Bernie wearing this. <laughs> that was all that came out. I, I opened my Instagram feed earlier today. We're recording this Thursday. I opened it for the first time. And I kid you not, at least every second photo was a meme with Bernie Sanders and his mittens. Someone who's gotten his mittens into the city of Edmonton business is Andre Corbalt, who started his new term as Edmonton's new city manager this week. And he just sort of showed up on January 20th. There was a media availability, but there was... No real pomp and circumstance here. He was inaugurated city manager the same day that Joe Biden was inaugurated president. <laughs> I think there was a slightly bigger ceremony down south. Slightly bigger. Yeah. Andre Corbold started officially on Monday, actually, the 18th, as the new city manager. Had a couple of quiet days before basically having his uh, welcoming coming out party to the media on Wednesday. He didn't say a whole lot in that news conference, if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, he, he basically said what you would expect him to say. He's excited to get down to work. He's learning about all of the different projects on the go and about the people involved. He was asked about, um, you know, the concerns about the different levels of management and if he'd be making any changes. And he basically said, we're having discussions about that. It's his responsibility as city manager to do the due diligence. I mean, no big surprises. He's just into the role now a week. He's got a long way to go. I'm sure he's going to uh, do his best to get up to speed quickly, but it's going to take some time. And when we talked about him and read some of his past, I don't know, you'd call them Yelp reviews of his job performance, pretty universally the feedback was he was by the books. He was a solid leader, but he led by, you know, raising up his teams and understanding how his teams work and letting his teams exceed. You can't do that if you don't know the team, if you haven't integrated yourself into the organization. So I suspect he's not going to be one of those rock the boat city managers coming in. He read a new book by Stephen Covey and he's ready to make some changes. I think it'll probably look like more of the same for quite a while until maybe some small changes start to accumulate. Yeah, and I think that's probably a wise decision, given that there's enough turmoil going on already with the economic situation the city faces and the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. So to have, you know, your new leader also rock the boat significantly would probably not be the most welcome thing to have happen if you work at the city. So I think employees will probably be uh, fairly happy with that approach. He, you know, talked about uh, infrastructure projects like LRT and talked about um, you know, some of the other reviews, the auditor reports that have been underway. And he basically just said business as usual. Speaking of business as usual, uh, John D was making some noise again this week. And he had the supportive committee to reconsider the shisha smoking ban. Say that 10 times fast. This was a ban that had previously taken effect about six months ago, where the city of Edmonton basically said, well, we can't smoke indoors. We haven't been able to do that for about 20 years. Shisha doesn't really need an exemption for this. And we had previously given a ramp up 
and given notice to Shisha Lounges that we were going to remove this permit. And then they did it about six months ago. Now, six months later, a uh, committee is asking the city of Edmonton to reconsider and what it would look like to permit Shisha smoking lounges to operate in the city of Edmonton again. Right. Which is, you know, sort of bizarre given that these practices and these these lounges are banned in a significant and growing number of locations, including municipalities in Canada like Toronto, but even in countries like Turkey, where, um, you know, during the pandemic, the president has encouraged people to stop smoking hookah or shisha because of the health impacts and, and wanting to uh, break those bad habits. So it's bizarre to me that now in Edmonton, we want to reopen this debate up again. The committee unanimously passed the motion to ask uh, administration to look into a new category for shisha lounges. I think it's important to, you know, add a caveat to the unanimous passing by committee. The committee is only four counselors. Yeah. Uh, so it's Aaron Paquette, John Zadick, Andrew Knack, and Mike Nickel. So John D and Mike Nickel, you can expect hey, this is contrarian, we're going to vote yes. So already half the committee is on board. Andrew Knack will never vote no to more information. Even if the information was, <laughs> let's learn more about why people think humans don't cause climate change. Be like, well, I'd love to learn more about what the other side thinks. He's very minded. <laughs> yeah, any ridiculous concept, he's happy to vote no for the ridiculous concept later, but he'll always vote yes on that information. And that just left Paquette and... You know, he did say he's heard a lot of feedback from the community and that he would feel like he wasn't being responsive to the community if he didn't ask the question. That was his quote. So, you know, that yeah. sounds very much Andrew Knackish. Let's get the information. Uh, so this is a far from a shoe in for actually undoing the ban. But I think you were apt off the start that this is dumb. Many people will argue ah, it's not quite tobacco. It's herbal. Right. But. At the end of the day, it's mechanics and semantics. And why should a change in a technology change the fundamental of why we pass laws? We don't think smoking inside is good. We don't allow vaping inside because even though the technology changed, even though it's like vapor instead of tobacco, it's still the same concept. There's some common sense to be had here. And I don't think, despite how many people are angry about this, that it's common sense to allow it. People were angry about smoking for decades. Right. I think Councilor McKean talked about that, right? He said that it was difficult when they first banned smoking indoors and it's difficult basically the, along the way, but people adapted and, and it's just weird now if there's anyone smoking anywhere near a facility, right? Culture has shifted. The only reason that I would say perhaps this is different, I, I get what you're saying, Troy, is that maybe there is something cultural with shisha smoking and I just don't know enough about it to say whether or not that's true. I'm inclined to agree with you. It's tobacco, it's cigarette smoking by another name. So we should treat it the same way. But I just think we may maybe leave that as a, a possibility, a very small possibility that there is a, a rational reason. And I did particularly appreciate that uh, in city administration, one of the proposals for a new bylaw was prohibiting sort of like food and drink and any sort of like relaxation and entertainment along with shisha smoking. So, right. you know, right. if you're doing it for some sort of cultural or for some spiritual reason, then okay, maybe we can permit this in certain scenarios, but we're not allowing you to do it in a bar. It's not a restaurant where you can just smoke while you're eating. That's not what this is about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of adapting regulations to exactly where we need them, a lot of Edmonton mature neighborhood residents have 
long been calling on the city to increase enforcement and damage caused by infill developments. And that's always the story that gets added when infill discussion comes back into the news. It's that guy down the street who has that nightmare infill and the nightmare builder. So, of course, that was back in the news this week when um, Edmonton's infill roadmap was completed for 2020. Yeah, we got an update on the roadmap. We are another seven actions down. So there are nine to be completed, um, three of which will be sustained beyond and six of which will be completed by the end of 2022 is the plan. There was some good stuff that happened in 2020 on infill, but you're right. Whenever this comes up, all we ever hear about is the compliance issues and the fact that people have issues with infill happening. And one of the things that really caught my eye about the compliance report was the top two infractions. So they broke this down by percentage. And the top one was Occupy Road Right of Way, followed by Obstruct Highway. Those are the same thing. And neither of those two things, they might be the same thing. They don't sound to me like anything really related to infill. I mean, I walk out my door every day and half the time there's a truck parked in the bike lane. Like obstructions happen not just because of infill. It's really bizarre to me that this is sort of uh, painting infill with such a negative light. I mean, fundamentally, that's the nature of construction. I'm not giving a carte blanche to Edmonton construction companies because we know especially downtown, a lot of the developers are really, really bad, especially for things like sidewalk hoarding and closing lanes where they don't need to be closed. But that's a complaint with construction. I would say when you're complaining about infill and the problems with infill, it's things like, oh, you know, we're building too close to the property line and I have a mature house and you're upsetting my foundation. Those sorts of things. Property damage, something. Right, exactly. I mean, that doesn't sound like an infill problem to me. It sounds like a broader people don't have respect for the roads and think that they can park and drive wherever they want to problem. If we're being honest, and if we're being honest about where infill goes, which is in the mature neighborhoods, the people with the least amount of respect for who the road actually belongs to are the current residents um, who, (laughs) you know, are the old people who have lived there for 40, 50 years and think they they're entitled to park right in front of their house and they don't want any more people moving in and parking on their street. One of the problems, which I hope is going to be addressed with the city plan and some of our new changes, things like addressing parking minimums and things like changing zoning and really revamping our zoning bylaw, because at the end of the day, the concept of infill, even with this report, still seems to be very much pulling teeth. If you take one 1940s house, you bulldoze it, and you make two skinny houses, you've made a lot of people mad, you've added a lot of construction, you've gotten all the pain of infill for a density increase of like... Right, negligible. It's still basically single-family zoning. I think if we really want infill to get the buy-in, we need to massively ramp up our plans and get exactly what we've been talking about for how many years going on now, the missing middle stuff. The stuff that Don Iveson campaigned on in the last election and several years ago that he was going to find that missing middle, I don't know if I've quite seen it yet. I don't know if I've seen those brownstone housing and little walk-ups. I think it's an accumulation of lots of little things that'll get us there, right? So one of the other reports that uh, committee received this week was about fire protection and cost sharing for that. So currently developers need to pay for that. The city's run a pilot program where that would be covered or or cost shared at least. And uh, it was successful, although they didn't have enough money to fund very many projects. But the proposal and the infill development and Edmonton Association supports this is to 
ramp that budget up for the next four years, starting in 2022, so that uh, it makes it a little bit more predictable how much it's going to cost and might make some of those infill things, uh, projects a, a little more likely to go ahead. And I think it's the accumulation of all of those little steps, hopefully overall, that will um, turn the tide, so to speak. On your point about the city plan, there was kind of two takeaways from the the main two reports. The first is that beyond 2022, all targets for infill are now under the direction of the city plan. So that means to me we're not likely to see a second infill roadmap. And then the other is that there is no, not going to be any more annual reporting on compliance. Instead, if council wants an update, they'll get a memo. <laughs> I, I, it just speaks to the transitioning, I think, of infill from a separately managed little off to the side you know, a big project, but something that is separate from all the rest of the plans into something that is more integrated into the city plan. And I think if you go back and listen to the city plan, that becomes apparent where for a city of 2 million, we're basically looking to increase our density by 50% within our existing boundaries. That has to be infill. You can't really call it infill when you're doing that. It's just running your city, building your city. And it has to be up. You mentioned cost sharing for developers and oh you sneaky devil you that's not the only spot where the city is sharing some costs with developers though this one a little more frustrating to you i imagine where we heard that there's going to be uh, some i'll call it gifts to kate's groups downtown for green and walkable infrastructure Yes, I have many thoughts on this one i guess so a little bit uh, of a history lesson back in the early 2010s when we were approving the CRL, I wrote a blog post about how I felt like downtown development was being held hostage by the arena because in order to get funding for things like sidewalk infrastructure and making it a more enjoyable, pleasant place for pedestrians to be, we had to have a CRL that funded an arena. That all came to pass, of course, and part of the CRL was this green and walkable project. The CRL identified something like $62 million of potential things that we could spend money on to make these improvements around downtown. Um, We're not even close to spending that much money so far. I mean, to be fair, it would be over the the length of the CRL, which is quite a while. Um, But we are getting lots of infrastructure around the arena itself for Ice District. And uh, they already had um, some cost-sharing agreements in place with uh, the Cates Group or the developers of Ice District. Technically, it's not the Cates Group, but probably really behind that organization is the Cates Group. They already had a cost-sharing agreement with them for $1.48 million for sidewalk improvements adjacent to the Edmonton Tower. This new proposal that uh, Executive Committee passed without debate or this week is for just under $3 million for improvements uh, around uh, the arena. There's a few different streets, 103rd, 102nd, um, areas near the ICE district that they are going to make sidewalk infrastructure and amenity improvements. And the city did an analysis and said they're actually spending $6 million here. And so about half of that goes beyond what you would expect to be the minimum standards. This will, of course, come from the CRL. So a very small amount of that green and walkable project we're now starting to see, but primarily around the arena itself. On balance, I have absolutely no complaints with building this. Downtown needs to be more walkable. Um, I would say it's a bit weird that, you know, a lot of it's popping up around the arena with that huge gutter of 104 Ave dividing the area. But notwithstanding, there's a lot of areas that don't have sidewalks or have garbage sidewalks, don't feel nice to walk around, and we should improve our downtown. 
where I bump on it is exactly what you mentioned, that we need an arena to do this. We can't just build sidewalks downtown. We have to start a hockey team and get a rich company to decide that they want sidewalks around their hockey team arena and then maybe downtown will get them. It's like it's the definition of like trickle down sidewalks, I guess. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It is kind of like that. I it's certainly how it feels, right? If you walk around downtown right now especially, the sidewalk right in front of the arena is nice and wide and, you know, for the most part fairly clean. If you walk anywhere else, especially where there's lots and lots of construction going on, those sidewalks are just horrible. So, any improvement to the sidewalks would be very welcome. I would like to see some more improvement elsewhere in the downtown. I'm very optimistic about the shared use path that's going to be on 102nd Avenue with the LRT, uh, the Valley Line construction when that eventually finally hopefully gets done. Um, And, you know, if we can spread out those improvements around the downtown a little bit, then, you know, this makes me feel much better about uh, this sort of cost sharing for things that are really supporting a private enterprise. I mean, they they bought 103rd Street, right? I mean, a lot of that land is really for the ICE district developers. So to, of course, they want to make it as friendly and welcoming as possible. Um, but if that's the catalyst for making the rest of downtown uh, walkable and enjoyable as a pedestrian, I'd like to see some of that other investment as well. You mentioned uh, the Valley Line uh, West improving the uh, west side of 102 Ave. Hate to crush your hopes there, Mac, but... If a certain someone's mayor, then that won't be happening. And a certain someone may or may not have announced he was running for mayor this week. Crazy season got well underway this week. I would say it started when I decided I had been sitting on a tip for multiple weeks. I'd been trying to get, you know, enough confirmation that I could out the tip with some good reporting without outing my source. And eventually I decided, you know what? It's time to go. We know that Mike Nickel is scared because he knows he can't win a run for mayor. So he's going to run in Gary Hale or the former-ish Ward 11, including Ellerslie. So roughly the same area he currently runs in with a bit more south. And I went ahead and I tweeted that. I Mm. typed it out and I clicked send tweet. And then two hours later, he posts on his website that he's running for mayor. He pulls it down from his website. It was posted in error. No one knows if he's really running for mayor or if I was right and he was scared. He won't talk to the media, but he's got a special announcement scheduled for, wait for it, Friday at 7 p.m. after our news deadline. Everybody's news deadline, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Another update this week is the Edmonton Journal. They talked to Amarjeet Sohi, former counselor, former cabinet minister, former prisoner of war and bus driver. Dude's got a really storied history, but he's long been a favorite to enter the mayoral race. And the Edmonton Journal penned him down, said, hey, give us an answer. And he said, I don't know. Which is pretty much what anybody would say in January if they're open to the possibility, but haven't spent that much time thinking about it, no? I think what people don't necessarily appreciate, because we've been living through this four years of hellscape of a constant election down in the United States, is that this is too early for an election campaign in Edmonton. In 2017, plenty of candidates, even ones that won elections, were out campaigning maybe three months before the election. Some declared on nomination day just a month before the actual election. So we're still really far out and no one needs to be declared in order to run in the race. Uh, Though we are seeing some people 
drop out of the races. Yeah, so Councillor McKean announced that he's not running. So I think we were wondering where he was, why he wasn't commenting on things last week. And I guess we know why. He was writing a blog post about how he's chosen not to run for re-election. I think McKean's retiring probably doesn't surprise many people very much. He's been slowing down, I think it's safe to say. Um, Perhaps he'd disagree, but I don't know. At me, McKean. (laughs) We have done several segments of the McKean blunders. McKean, in my mind, is a counselor who is a liberal in name only. He supports progressive policies with his mouth, but not with his votes. And we've seen that time and time again. And especially downtown, where you have a ward that not as aggressively as Papasteo and the university area, but pretty aggressively is a progressive ward and people who are urbanites who want dense urban living. And he wasn't really living up to the promise. And he quite nearly lost the last election in 2017. So perhaps he saw the writing on the wall. Perhaps he's done. But he announced that he's retiring. Yeah. And it's something we've never seen before in my recollection. Tony Katarina moved over and is now going to be running in O'Damon, which is the new ward that roughly encompasses downtown and what Ward 6 used to be. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Is this so his son can run in the other one? I would say you're probably right that he's making space for his son uh, to use the Katarina name in probably Métis. Tony Katarina, unfortunately, his ward, Ward 7, was the ward that was singularly hit the worst by splitting in the new ward boundaries. He's basically three different wards. The top-ish goes to John D. in his new ward. Uh, Part of it goes to Métis, which is like sort of Ben Henderson's-ish area. And then there's also the downtown areas, which are now in O'Damon, which is the new downtown riding. So... He, he would have had to move a little bit. Métis would have been the logical choice. That's most of his word. But he chose to move. And I think you have to be right that people have long predicted his retirement was upcoming. Maybe he doesn't need to win downtown. He's running because incumbent advantage, it's an open word. He might take it. But he's probably making space for his son, Rocco Katarina, in the new Métis ward. It could be. I mean, I have had uh, a few dust-ups with uh, good old Toncat online over the years, although I've really come to appreciate his sort of elder statesman attitude to counsel and the fact that he just does not put up with anything Nickel brings to the table. I like that a lot about him, and, uh, you know, it would be a shame to see him leave council if that's the case. I imagine maybe he knew something about McKean leaving and decided that that might be a good reason to switch over to that ward. The other thing McKean said, of course, when he announced that he was stepping down is that, you know, the the, the fact that you make people unhappy with every decision you make, no matter what you do, kind of wore on him over time. And I don't get the sense that Katarina feels the same way. Like he's got a pretty thick skin. You know, he's he's trying to make the best decision that he thinks is the right one at the time. And if it makes people unhappy, it's like, well, too bad. There's more decisions to be made. So he's really, you know, he's he's a hardworking guy who's been there for a long time. And, you know, if he won, that wouldn't be the, mo- the worst thing in the world. I'll mention one last part on the electoral politics of it all, because this has caught me a few times. And I've put in an email to the counselor's office asking for confirmation, but hasn't gotten back to me quite yet. In the CBC article covering McKean's retirement announcement, CBC again mentions that Ben Henderson in Ward 8 will also not seek re-election. And 
I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but this isn't the first time the media has said that Ben Henderson is not running again. Ben has said no such thing. Yeah, like I was like, did he announce? Did I miss it? Did I not see a tweet from him? But no, they just decided to print this. Yeah, and it's not the first time they've printed this. So I sent him an email, uh, unfortunately, for recording time. We haven't got a response back, but I'm sure when I do, I'll tweet it. Maybe we missed something. Maybe he talked to the media and he just didn't think to announce it to anyone. But that is not a counselor who has renounced his seat just yet. No, not that we're aware of, at least. Uh, One thing we are aware of is where our money comes from. And that's from reading you these ads. This episode is brought to you by BGC Biggs. That's Boys and Girls Clubs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton and area. And they're looking for volunteers like you. Families that have needed help need it now more than ever. And with BGC Biggs, volunteers have the power to change the courses of young people's lives across our community during the pandemic and beyond. Dedicating your time to the life of a child or youth makes an impact that goes far beyond Zoom calls, video game battles, or tutoring sessions. You can explore how you can get involved and watch our community change one life at a time. BGC Biggs is looking for virtual mentors, tutors, and in-person volunteers. Uh, You can learn more in one of their online open houses or by visiting their website at bgcbiggs.ca, or you can just Google BGC Biggs. It's easier than you think. These ads aren't actually the only things paying the bills. You know, there's like a whole media company underlying this podcast. Like, we are doing more things than just like, giving Troy a platform to spew his nonsense. <laughs> we try. Yeah, we've uh, we've made some big announcements this last week. So in December, we piloted something we call The Pulse, which is a daily news briefing that we put together. And we got some really great feedback from our early adopters on that product. And we've now launched that publicly. So on Monday was the first edition. So we're now a full week into The Pulse. And so far, so good. People are providing useful feedback and we're seeing lots of really good traction. So every single day, our goal is to try to inform you about what you need to know in Edmonton, to share with you some interesting things that we found from around the web in addition to our original reporting and to offer a little bit of delight as well. So for example, today we had a a day in history so you can learn a little bit more about the Calder neighborhood. I'll also give like an unprompted, unpaid for testimonial here. The problem I've had with Taproot Roundups in the past is like subscribing to the council roundup. That's a lot of meat and potatoes. I'm getting a lot in my inbox and sometimes I'm not ready for all that information. The pulse is like, it gives me a taste of everything and I can, I'm happy to go click through and get the meat and potatoes, but when all that's just shoved on my plate initially, it can be a bit daunting. So the pulse has been very nice for that. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, it's interesting you bring up the council roundup. We have decided by the time this episode is released that we'll have made the announcement that we are going to move the council roundup into the pulse. So that means there won't be a council roundup anymore. As you pointed out, one of the challenges with the roundup over the the last couple of years is just that it's a huge, long email full of information, which is good for a very small number of people, um, but not for everybody else. So now that we're publishing every single day with the pulse, we're going to include more municipal politics coverage right in the pulse. And so that's where if you're interested in finding out what's going on at council, you can get all of that in the pulse rather than waiting until Friday garbage day, as you said, Troy, uh, to see uh, what went on at council this week. That has been it. This has been what has happened in council this week. And we'll be back next week and the week after that. You can always head to edmonton.taproot.news to see all of that stuff. And I'll just throw in the final note. If you're not subscribed, because I look at our stats, I'm 
judiciously check our stats. And I know that a good like 40% of you still aren't subscribed to this in whatever podcast app of your choosing. It's just just do it. Click that subscribe button. It's very easy. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Tell your friends. Distribute posters. Be the street preacher. Go to White Ave, get a megaphone, listen to Taproot Edmonton's Speak Municipally podcast. It's award-winning and nominated for a second year for Canadian Online Publishing Award. I don't know. Say whatever you want to say, but say something. I'm going to end there. We're, we're done. We're, we're going downhill. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Honey, I'm the guy who knows I got a sweet ride and I'm king of the cans Give me your garbage cause I'm the trash man